You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. Hello, everyone. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome Ben Yeager, the Managing Director of AppsFire Central Europe. Ben and I have been crossing paths for years in the mobile gaming industry and very often at AppsFlyer's epic parties. Needless to say, I have been a huge fan of AppsFlyer as a business, but more importantly, as an org for a very long time. I've only met truly dedicated and lovely members of the AppsFlyer team, so I couldn't help but to invite Ben on the podcast to talk about his role at AppsFlyer, the company's response to last year's challenging events, and his vision for the future for his team. Without further ado, please welcome Ben to the podcast. Hello, Ben. Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here, Ben. We've been trying to schedule this for a while, so I'm glad that we finally made it happen. And for those who are not familiar with mobile as an industry and, and what we do, AppsFlyer is a very important part of that ecosystem that allows people like me who likes to look at numbers and make sure that the money that you're spending comes back to you in revenue to measure that sequence of events that's happening from the very beginning of when you start marketing your game to the very end until the user stops playing or hopefully continues to play for a very long time. But that's what AppsFlyer allows for everyone to see, do, and learn from. And it's a very robust system. We didn't want to really touch upon the recent changes, but with everything that's happening with Apple's changes in terms of privacy, which you can learn about at Mobile Dev Memo or Deconstructor of Fun, I'm just going to throw it out there because these are the best podcasts to learn about those things. It's going to also impact how AppsFlyer is supporting the clients. So this is going to be a very interesting year, I think, for everyone in the mobile space. If we just give people a high level understanding of what AppsFlyer does, is that correct more or less or is there something else that you want to share with what has changed especially in the recent months i think you did a great job but summarizing probably better than i could have done i would describe apps via as the the go-to tool or platform for marketers specifically mobile marketers that was historically mm -hmm. our focus but long term any marketeer as a platform for your data-driven decision-making. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are bolting onto it. We can talk about fraud protection and cost analysis and audience segmentations and so on. At the core is attribution and understanding the value of your marketing activities and the return, as you said. So that's you, I think you nailed it. I've been a huge fan forever. And people will come to me and ask me, you know, who they should use for attribution. I was very biased towards you and I was very happy with that. I also wanted to talk to you about your history with AppsFlyer and how did you find them? What made you decide to work for them? Because we should also maybe mention you've been with AppsFlyer for now six years? Five years. So I was fortunate enough to be asked by Oren, our CEO, to open the Berlin office. This is our central European headquarters, essentially. And you, you asked how I got to AppSpire. Well, it's interesting because I joined the mobile ad tech base back in 2011. It was a company that was called SponsorPay. Now it's called Fiber. And it's round about the time that Oren and Reshef founded AppSpire. One of my first business trips was to fly to Israel and meet potential partners. And I got via some connection, I, I got to meet with Oren. And I think he was, uh, he, he didn't want to show me his office at the time. So we met in a coffee place. I think they were in the middle of moving or something was going on. And I just re remember this meeting as just someone that is 
special. He didn't strike me as just a regular business person. He, he had this confidence and he had this flexibility, I would say, in, in the way we would we were able to work together. And so I stayed in touch with Oren and we met each other, obviously, at all the conferences, MWC in Barcelona and so on. Mm. And eventually it came a time where... I believe in 2015, towards the end of the year, that I had a question and I reached out to Oren. And in that conversation, he actually said, hey, by the way, good that you're speaking to me. I'm thinking about opening an office in Berlin, and wouldn't you be interested to do it? And so I was surprised because I thought about what it would take to be the first person on the ground, that that would be more of a sales type of role, usually looking at other companies, how they did it. And so I told him that I don't believe that I'm the right person for you. But he insisted that what he's looking for is something else. He's not looking for a salesperson. He's looking for more of a general manager. And this approach was very interesting to me because he also told me that I should hire customer success managers first and mm -hmm. people that can take care of the companies that we had and work with them and work with our partners and grow that way. So AppsFly was never a sales-driven organization, which was also really something that I found very intriguing and surprising. And I wondered how that worked. And so that all of that in, in combination with every person that I met throughout the process really made me take that leap of faith and join AppsFly. And, and I really don't regret it because I'm still here and still learning and I really uh, love it. I, I'm not surprised. Also, Oren is a fantastic person to follow. And I think that allure actually that he has is very easy to spot because he, he comes from this very interesting mindset. And like you said, kind of another very salesy, usual way of growing. First of all, taking care of and nurturing the partners that, that they have. And I've heard you speak about how AppSire was able then to grow mostly through word of mouth. And I'm a great example of that because I've forever loved the product and working mostly with Jacob, with Benno, so many great people that it's just been always obvious to me that you should recommend you guys to work with. And so I'm very happy that his strategy, as unusual as it is, really worked out well for the company. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're five years in. You now have a much bigger team, right? How many of you are here now in Berlin? Berlin and home office. Yes, we have grown significantly, but we're still pretty much a startup within a startup, which uh, adds to my enjoyment. We're around 23 people right now, still hiring. So it, it's a great group of people. Yeah, the hiring the hiring that's happening at AppSlyer is insane. I've always thought, like I said, that AppSlyer has been an amazing company to work for and has always had great people um, on the partnership side for myself and, and other partners. What do you think makes up that dynamic in the team and makes up that secret sauce of apps flyers people yeah, it's difficult to really nail this answer but i i do believe it's top down instilling culture and values and as, as we've mentioned Oren being a, a very strong leader also by the way um he in in the first years he was interviewing every single person so up to probably 300, 400, maybe even 500 people. He probably interviewed every single one. Now we just crossed the 1,000 uh, people line and it's just not what? feasible. Yeah, um, for sure. But I believe he approves still every single candidate, still 
uh, gives his final seal of approval still till today. And that kind of was a great uh, filter for for making sure that you have this the people firstly or most importantly that care that, that they re that, that care deeply about what they do and care uh, about others and, and care about winning and care about growing and excelling and the no asshole policy for sure is, is big here as well and then you you have managers underneath him that follow that same path and we try and emulate what the direction that he's um, shown us. This is so true. I cannot stress this enough that culture really is created top down. There's no bottom, bottom up is great. Those initiatives are important and they're important for, I think, innovation. But the culture of the company is always created top down. That emulation that you mentioned happens really subconsciously. I wouldn't see myself so many times taking up the wording that Adam would use. And I see most people do that, right? Because everybody at Avalon would respect Adam so much for what he's doing. And he obviously is amazing. It would come as obvious to me that everyone would try to at least instill some of that behavior in themselves. I also just like to mention that, that this is so important, especially when you're founding a company or starting a company or becoming a manager of a team is because if you think that your behavior and how you act is not going to impact people and they will be able to distill that from, I don't know, the angry you or like the, you know, you as a private person versus you at work, really people don't have that brain capacity. Like they come to work and they assume that you are you and they don't really take time to break down your behavior as for you being Ben back home or Ben at work, especially now when this is also blended, right? So following that, I also wanted to talk to you about management specifically. You are responsible for now over 20 people and also working closely with Oren and the leadership team. Before you even started at AppSlyer, have you always thought about yourself as someone, as a leader, as a people manager? Was that the path that you wanted to take or were you more interested in other avenues of, of professional life? Yeah, I, I do love working with people. I used to be a pretty good tennis player growing up. And eventually, as my first job, I, I basically taught younger kids to play tennis. And that aspect of coaching and uh, motivating people and getting them to push their own boundaries and, and the limits and is, is something that I always enjoyed. And, and although I played tennis, team sports was, was really what, what drew me. So I, I loved playing football. And in tennis, I like I, I like playing doubles, so it's always been something that that really makes me get out of bed easily and happily uh, when I know that I can work with people and and that's so for sure. I when I've always loved playing doubles because it just meant that you run you, you only had to run <laughs> through half the court, and. <laughs> It wasn't as terrible because my dad wanted me to become a professional tennis player because he thought I have such long arms and I'm quite tall, so I could kind of fit, but my legs were never that fast. And he would always be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's not my fault. It's them. Like they just don't run this fast. <laughs> and so I always love playing doubles for that. But yes. tennis has been said to be the safest uh, socially distant sport, right? Because you're so yeah. far away from each other. So people management has always been something that you loved. And when it comes to growing the team in Berlin, five years in, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned in terms of 
hiring, growing, and just the day-to-day -day management? So hiring is, is, is super difficult because what you're trying to do is understand people's ability and performance in the future based on meeting them, I don't know, two hours, three hours, four hours as a team. And that's an impossible task. So I think if you if you start like that, <laughs> then you're probably getting closer to getting better at it because you can't know. So it's a bit unfair, but if you're in a position that you can look at people's track records, if they have experience in, in a similar field, that's a very that's a good indicator. References are, I think, uh, underrated and people just think ref there's no not much value there. I really pay a lot of attention doing the reference calls myself mm -hmm. and make sure that hiring managers are also taking part in reference calls because it gives you an understanding how to get the most out of the person because the, the ideally the people that managed that person in the past have tried different things and can tell you what works, what doesn't work. And if you phrase your questions in the reference calls as, look, I'm, I, I, I assume that given that you are the reference, you will be speaking positively about this person. But my, my aim for this call is to understand how we can get the most out of this person and approach it that way. Then I think there's a lot of value in these calls. And you might also hear some, there's a bigger chance that you'll get to potential red flags or areas of improvements or things to watch out and then you can reference back with like te maybe test that again if you if you're uncertain about things so so that's for me one aspect in the hiring that i that i really like to focus on like i mentioned trying to understand people's passion like trying to see if, if there's fire in in the eyes if they speak about a certain topic where do they get excited? Is it necessarily related to what you're actually doing? Or if they're, once they speak about tennis or about cooking or about traveling, is that when they get more animated? So trying to understand that and then trying to really understand people's motivations is what I try to do. And I think that continues throughout the career and, and throughout mm. your management process. You need to try and understand what motivates people, what makes them get up in the morning and what demotivates them. And I think you mentioned earlier uh, that people do not can't differentiate between the work me and the home me and and so that that brings me to authenticity and and being being who you are wherever you are and showing up as that person with vulnerability admitting what you're not good at and and putting yourself out there and i think that allows team members to speak to you and share certain aspects that you otherwise wouldn't be able to distill or be able to to get to and, and, and then that gives you the tool to help them grow and understand as essentially the, their path because you need to treat everyone or it makes sense to treat everyone as an individual and, and try and understand them for who they are and then you can get the best out of them, I believe. And they can get the best out of themselves. That's that's super important as well, right? I have a few follow-up questions to what you said. In that hiring process, let's say during those reference calls, you do hear about someone's, uh, like you said, weaknesses and maybe some issues that they've had in their previous role. 
Do they really, do they often discourage you or do they just want you to investigate more about the person or your candidates? It it really depends on the type of question marks that are arising from the conversation. If they're super critical for the job, then potentially it means that it's not the best fit. And I think there it's also important to to understand that if someone is is not going to be able to perform, that's that's not only bad for the company. That's also not a good feeling for the person. They won't hit their targets if if they have any, and they will be unhappy and, and they won't be able to progress and it's a waste of their time. So I think nobody is benefiting from hiring the wrong person for the wrong job. So depends how critical it is. Is, is is what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. and and if it's if it's a side note, then I, then I think uh, it's important to look into it, to think back if there was something that popped up throughout the interviews. But everyone has areas of improvement, so in general, it's not a not a bad thing at all, and we can work with it and help that person. Everything you're mentioning is very insightful and important to consider as you are right now, let's say growing a team. And these are all growing pains that every founder and CEO I speak to is mentioning. Hiring being the most difficult and so risky, you know, because you actually do have to make a call based on very limited data set and there's bias and you have to work against your bias so many times. It's a big risk, um, I think. Maybe that, that's a good question. Would you say that your recruitment process by now with the support of hiring managers and your recruitment team has been ironed out well enough that you guys don't really make a lot of bad hires, let's say? Because I think my, my point here is that I don't see anybody leaving AppsFlyer once they join. So this is all I see on LinkedIn is people joining AppsFlyer. How were you guys able to really nail down the recruitment process? Yeah, I do believe we do well. In certain areas, we do better than in others. So you're talking about churn, and I think there's more to that. We're very fortunate, right? We've been growing and essentially been able to provide better services to our employees. And it's fun to be on a winning team. And so this is also contributing to our ability to retain people. So I assume our business success goes hand in hand with our ability to retain. So it's not only that we are so amazing at hiring, it's also that we've managed to continuously win and continuously be winning. And and I think people are less likely to leave such an environment. I would agree that it's important that the company is growing and winning, but we've seen a lot of examples of companies growing very, very fast and people burning out, not being very happy. I guess my point is that I don't really see people being falsely happy at Upslayer. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're genuinely happy people. And I actually had a conversation with one of my friends who also works at AppSwire. And he said to me, I really cannot believe that this company is so amazing. I have never seen anything like this. Yeah. And he said, I would really want to say something bad, but I can't. (laughs) So this is awesome. I mean, this is, you know, just a a great statement. So so then you're probably right. I thought that is part of it, but yeah, there's obviously much more. And you forget if you're in it that we have people experience team that tries to think about details that me in my personal life would, would never think to consider. 
but there, it's the small things that matter mm -hmm. that make people happy and that make people realize that actually there are people that care about you. Th that's one thing. You mentioned biases. And there I would say we are trying to fight it. We get training on hiring. One of the tips that, that I found interesting was after a few seconds in an interview, you usually make up your mind subconsciously and then once you realize that like you should pay attention to that quite closely because it happens naturally and then once once you realize try and disprove it like look for reason let's say you decide okay this is a great person now change your attitude in your mind and, and think why is this not the right person without being mean or or, or super difficult in your questioning um, or in your conversation but just in order to fight those biases that's one of the approaches and vice versa if you if if mm -hmm. you think this can like after a few seconds you think this is not the right person try and find reasons why it is the right person and this can help you initially just be aware that you've made a decision too fast and it does help i think this is the other thing with sitting down for a conversation like this that normally you know in your day-to-day -day, you're just trying to do the best job you can and you don't really think about all of those building blocks of why the company is doing so well like why people love it so much but then you've mentioned so many of those orange behavior and, and his leadership style being that North Star. The recruitment process being quite long and pretty detailed with support of this recruitment team. And then once people are on board, support from the people experience team. And then obviously the help of the business growth that is happening. But I think, yeah, like everything, I always say this, everything in life is complicated and there's no one straight answer. And also here, there's many factors that are important. But I think first anyone who's starting off there are those things that they need to think about while building the organization mm -hmm. because business side is one thing but the organization is the other thing right where initially yes you are the hiring person as the ceo and founder but then at some point you might want to get some support from other people who can help you screen better and and stuff like that so so these are all important points. And speaking of the people experience team and obviously the challenges of COVID of last year, I remember reaching out to you actually for the interview first time after seeing so many great blog posts from employees of AppsFlyer and talking about how AppsFlyer has taken care of all those things that, like you said, maybe seem minor and small, but were very helpful in this challenging time. So I wanted for you to tell us a little bit more about what AppsFlyer has done last year and how are you guys approaching 2021 in terms of working in the distributed form? First, I, I wanted to say, you, you mentioned in the way you summarized the last section that people who are founding and are managing need to think about the organization. And the more experienced I become at managing people, I realize how important HR is and how just like reference calls are somehow neglected or not given enough attention, HR is such a key functionality or part of of what you need to also consider when you're founding and managing people because your business is made out of <laughs> made up of these people yeah. and so it's it is to use your um your anti-word obvious that you need to take <laughs> care of you need to take care of people and think about it and find the right ones for the right job and and grow them and so on so i, I can't emphasize enough 
uh, how important HR is in the long run. And I think that's the challenge when you start thinking it's about survival and you can't really think about long term. But if you find those moments, then, then considering that. Well, and it's a very undervalued team as well. I feel like in the org and the org structure, I've yeah. had someone talk to me when I first started about different new initiatives and future of work. And someone said to me, oh, so you're not doing HR, right? As if that was worse than me doing business or doing something else. I'm like, well, you still work with people. It's like people make up businesses and people are your clients. Yeah. So yes, but sorry, I got you off. <laughs> Back to the... What we did and what we're doing. Yeah. I, I think we understood that we have to try and uh, try different things. So initially we started with potentially doing too much and over communicating, setting up various Slack channels and making sure that there is team calls and had all the kinds of uh, virtual offerings in terms of sports and yoga and whatever they what whatever you could think of happy hours team events uh, extracurricular ones and also business related and then we i guess course corrected and, and reduced it because we realized that it just in terms of people managing that like like first people had to figure out how to work from home how to do it right for some that meant overworking and and that was super unhealthy i mean you, you can only do that for so long and and so making sure that people themselves can figure out what is their right rhythm and how can they get routine is important as well as uh, the company also trying to figure out how do we do this and so we approached it like most of the things that we do as experiments and we try things and we fail and we do other things and and we're open about it and we want to hear from people and and get feedback so as a very big feedback culture and and we have questionnaires, anonymous ones that we send around to understand what's going on and what's worked. And so we improved. And I think what's also important is that as you grow, you, you need to offer a variety of things because not everyone will want the same. And you need to be okay as an organization to offer things. And then there's only a, I don't know, 20% show up rate for a given mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. And and that that's not a failure, I don't think. I believe that's just, it worked for some and it's super valuable that uh, for others not and I think we're still learning we're still figuring it out it hasn't stopped to be important for us because we've we're onboarding people virtually nowadays which is something that we just haven't done and and, and don't have much experience so we will make mistakes and we will improve and I guess as long as you you have that attitude then you you have a chance to 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 get better Perpetual learning is, I think, a very helpful mindset that people generally on an individual level and on a team and company level should always have. And just it takes away so much of the pressure of having to be perfect mm. and just also makes it so much more interesting, right? Because even when you said, oh, there's low show up rates for some events, but that I think just speaks to the diversity of the team. If anything, it's a strength, not a weakness. Yeah, I think really being open for feedback, sending anonymous questionnaires after activities and, and encourage people to to be part of the process and shaping what is what is right for them. That is the I, I guess the recipe for, for for constantly improving and getting to a better place of offering. And for us in Berlin, the team was somewhat less interested in I don't know, there was like 
an origami session or music session and and the Berlin team or majority of, of the team weren't that interested in these uh, type of activities. On the other hand, listening to a lecture about meditation, a lecture of a undercover um, journalist was super relevant and interesting. So just you're okay with some people taking on part of your offering and, and others rejecting it. Everything is optional. It's there for you. It's, it's essentially a, a buffet that you can mm -hmm. choose, but you are in the driving seat and you also are an adult and managing your time. And if you're busy, then these things might be less of a priority for you right now. And it doesn't mean that you don't appreciate it. You might check out the recordings afterwards. Mm -hmm. So we do tend to record a lot of the offerings so that it can be consumed on demand. Uh, that's another aspect and, and uh, one of the benefits, I guess, of things yeah. being virtual. And then people can also watch things at a, a greater speed, like 1.5 or 2. Like hopefully everyone is listening to this right now, uh, given that uh, my speed of speaking is somewhat slow. I think it's very relaxing for most people. That's what I would say. But to what you said about things looking at like a buffet and, and people being able to choose the benefits that they like or not, there's two things I always think are very important. First of all, is really being grateful for the fact that there's such a breadth of those available for them as employees, because these are just benefits. They're not a given. And last year has been very challenging for employers because they were so abruptly put under pressure to deliver a lot of that social safety net that normally you would expect adults to build up themselves in their daily lives. But because everything got so blended, it just meant that the companies are asked or expected to be able to deliver all of those things, right? Those companies, especially in ad tech, I think are very generous in terms of giving people options on what they can do outside of work is one thing. The other is what you said, we are all adults and understanding that you need to be able to manage your time and energy yourself. First of all, be able to understand how to work efficiently. And if you have time, if you want to then join those other things that uh, you might want to do, but you need to understand that, you know, it's only an option. You're not forced to do it, right? Yeah. And you don't have to do all of this at the same time. Yeah, I think I, I want to touch on a couple of points you made there. One, that being grateful, I, I think absolutely we get spoiled in, in these kind of jobs. Mm, um, very much so. Lose touch of reality to some extent. And then I, then I also think on the flip side, I don't think it's necessarily just charitable <laughs> what, what companies are doing. I, I do believe it's good business in the sense mm. that, and that's the beauty of it. It's on the one hand, you're doing something good and people have a greater offering and variety of things to get out of a job. And on the other hand, there's clear benefits to the employer as well. People are more productive, they're happier, they stay longer, they're more engaged and so on. So I, I, I think it's good business to be good to your people. So it's not just altruistic motives here at play. The other thing I was going to ask you about was, I think also how you guys are managing this in today's day, all those benefits, because like you said, this is, this is also still a business, right? So it all costs money and managing all of the ones that are available also takes resources. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you said that you course corrected and scaled back, did you end up having like a core set of benefits and then just kind of focusing on those or 
how are you guys working with with that right now? So on the one hand, we we obviously operate uh, within certain budgets and, and we are managing those. Reducing wasn't necessarily a, a result of cutting costs in that area, luckily for us. It was purely based on feedback. And now we, we've just reduced probably the, the weekly availability and, and we see that people do still appreciate it and it, it's just enough. And we've added new things, for example, a buddy programs for any, anyone who starts new in the company. When we speak about onboarding, it's a huge issue, obviously, being virtually and never having met a person face to face. So having a buddy program that we offer and where you get, you can volunteer to become a buddy. And I believe we have 400 volunteers or something. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get randomly um, assigned to a new starter. And I think there in that program, we could we could extend that to make that available also not just for new starters, but people who have been around and want to connect with people. So there's potential in, in that field. It, it's a, I'm sorry that I can't give you a concrete answer here and say, okay, this is, this is the result. This is where we've ended up because it's a continuous evolution of offering and changing um, offerings, I guess. Yeah, but that makes sense. Back at Sociomantic, I was working in this advisory team and we were working with account management and sales teams, but we were also responsible for building out parts of learning and development and working with the L&D team, we would also build that um, anchor program. And that anchor program was for every, for new starters and, and exactly had the same component of having a buddy within the organization that's been with the org for a bit longer. And I think this is such a lovely stepping stone to setting up mentorship programs because uh, mentorship and also Sometimes it could be really um, leveled off coaching as well, uh, especially if you're, you know, can work with your peers and really just exchange knowledge and have that call on the calendar to speak through what's been going on. And I really find that as long as you are consistent with it, you will see so much value from even having a sounding board in somebody uh, like your peer, or especially if you're a young professional or a junior, you get to have a mentor that is an invaluable benefit of working in a bigger organization. Um, It's really hard to I think, reflect and talk through different scenarios in your head constantly. As powerful as our brain is, it's really hard to have hindsight and have that distance from a situation uh, when we're just one person and the other person is always very, very helpful, especially if they had relevant experience and they can maybe point you into the right direction. Absolutely. And I like, by the way, uh, which brings me back to management, to use that idea and that concept as a help in managing, because you can, you say, you rightly say that it's very difficult to figure things out all by yourself. I mean, there's exceptional people that can do that, but very often it's it's helpful to to have a soundboard or to have people to talk to. And I think seeking advice from people that you are managing, if it's not conflicting, obviously, is a super powerful method of managing these people because you allow them to contribute, show your vulnerability, and you give them opportunity to shape the course of the business. And this is, uh, I believe, something that is potentially also underrated. So looking for this, not only with mentors or external parties, but within the organization, with the, with your direct reports, is something that I, I think is really a great tool. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, this is definitely underrated. I think most people never seek to learn from their reports. To me, the way I look at it, I think it goes back to the misunderstanding of management as a role. I think a lot of people in middle management are thrown into management, that's first. And then they treat this as an add-on to their actual job. And this is what you would hear a lot from managers being like, well, my actual job is sales. My actual job is growth. My actual job is engineering, but I am also a team lead instead of, well, I am a team lead in this department, right? So I think it takes also changing the way we think about it, about what management is. And then for people who are being managed, that also is not about your manager knowing everything better than you do. Actually, what he is supposed to do is to facilitate your growth and probably propel you to be even better than he is or she is and what you're doing because their job is literally just to facilitate you being able to reach your potential, like you said in the, in the very beginning. Yes. So, so there's also that education and changing your mind about what you, I think this would be an amazing outcome generally of this whole change in COVID and stuff. If people could unlearn what they know about management, really seeing and seeking the opportunity to grow as managers and understanding how much more important actually it is to have those soft skills. And this is why I wanted to talk to you basically is because like hearing from people, how happy they are at AppSwire, I wanted to really get to the source of it and knowing that you've been leading them from the very beginning, kind of learn your tips and tricks on how you approach management because it's clearly working for the whole team. Maybe we can dive into what is your framework and how you think about it more deeply than, you know, here and there as we were just up until now. So if you could maybe share your philosophy and your approach, and then that would be a very helpful in context for people. I don't probably have such a thing as a philosophy. I think there's elements and, and maybe we can work that out together now, what, what that philosophy is. So I'd, I'd be glad if you help me. I did that with Michael Duning from Playtest Cloud. We were talking about management and he was talking about all of his pillars. And then I, at the end, I said, I think we should write a book out of this. And I still think I'm going to try to write a book with him about management because he's just and maybe, you know, we can get a few of those extraordinary leaders like yourself and him and put together like a Bible of management for, for those who are trying to learn how to do it best. But let's go back That's to cool. all your principles and then let's see what I, comes out. Yes. Thank you. I, I, I feel uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing slightly with, with all these compliments. I think the way I like to approach working with people is the same way that I try and be with my friends in the sense that I care about them deeply. And it's not only about their work and their output. I just like to hang out with them and I want to see them be happy and healthy and, and do well. And that's the foundation. And I think there's a certain time that we will be working together, but eventually one of us will go and do something else. And I think that's also okay, or more than okay. So so I'm how can we make the best out of our time together? How can you grow that, that you can get closer to whatever it is that you want to do afterwards? And, and then how do I show that, that I care? Is by listening. I, I think 
given that I'm a slow speaker, that that gives me a lot of opportunities to to listen because people uh, feel the need to fill those gaps. <laughs> I, I think that's one probably part of a hidden superpower. One of my deficiencies is actually turning out to to be helpful in in that sense. And so I'm I'm listening and I'm trying to understand what their motivations are, what their problems are. And like you mentioned earlier, is trying to remove roadblocks. I see a path they're trying to go down. And I'm trying to just smooth out their way. My job is not to do their job because in most cases, by now they're doing it better than I could. So I'm just trying to be the soundboard that is so important. And you, you know, when, you, when you're not in the weeds, you see things clearer. And so I can sometimes say, okay, actually, this could be a way to do this. Or, hey, let me just speak to this team. I know that they're talking about something similar and... And, and so just given that I'm removed, that, that is part of my ability to see ways for them to get closer to where they want to go. In general, I'm, I'm very curious, and uh, not just about the, the people, but I'm curious about our business and learning about our product and learning about our clients and our partners. So I try to constantly learn for myself. And that also gives me somewhat of a credibility towards the people that I'm talking to, that I'm showing them that I care and I, I lead and, and they can come to me and speak to me about various things that are interesting for them or relevant for them. And, and I I don't know the answers, but I might know who knows. And within the organization, as the organization grows, that's ever more important and challenging. So that's one aspect as well. It's interesting you mentioned curiosity. I think our CTO, Basil, well, soon not to be my CTO anymore. I remember, I remember one of his speeches at a team event, and he mentioned when, when he looks at the team and always wonders about what is the most important trait of any successful person, he would always say it's curiosity, that relentless interest and the next thing and in understanding why things happen the way they happen. And I think this is what is so important in any role, really. And I think the moment you notice that your curiosity is going down or is, is declining and you're like, you cannot see yourself being excited about what you're doing and it doesn't interest you, that's a very good data point for you to either investigate and mold your role differently within the organization, or maybe you're really not interested anymore in, in the whole industry or company and then changing that is also very important but yeah is there anything else that you wanted to mention there's communication like transparency that's very important i think and there i i kind of use various methods of of achieving that i i try to do quarterly reviews with the entire team to show highlights and lowlights and show business numbers and so on continuously also throughout uh, one-on-ones or check-ins that, that I try and do with, with as many people as possible to share some of the information that are not necessarily part of everyone's day-to-day, -day, but just give people understanding that they are part of this bigger or rocket ship that is moving in a certain direction and reminding them what that direction is and what our vision and mission is. I think these things are also important in management. And sometimes there is some translation work needed or filtering. How does the greater vision translate into my role and what I do and how am I contributing to this probably also part of my management uh, responsibility 
Oh, it's a huge responsibility. I what you said, being the link between this high level vision and mission and drive for the company and the day to day. And this is such a, an important question. You hear something like, you know, a grandiose mission or vision, but what does it mean? Like what, but, but it's a very important question. It might sound stupid to, to you in the first second, but actually understanding how to translate big words into actionable, small items that you can actually put in place and act on is so crucial. That is why you're here. The mission is the big words. And then the ability to translate that into the small things is, is actually what constitutes your job. Yeah. So yeah. this is why it's, you know, and having, and especially I think the, the more junior you are, the more important the, the role of your leadership is. And then the more senior you are, what leadership then does is it opens you up to more growth through, like you said, bringing in context from other departments, from other situations so that you can then craft your growth yeah. based on having a bigger picture. And it's really great to have somebody who you can rely on to keep you in check with those, as in always remembering to bring that context to you as you are busy doing other things, because hopefully you're busy enough that you have enough to do in your day. Yeah. And I think in ad tech specifically in mobile, <laughs> this is always the case. Like you're never not busy, but having someone who you can rely on to not keep information hostage and really share it with you to your benefit, because in the end of the day, this is all for everybody to grow together. Right. So, so yeah. it's very important. Okay, so we have a few fundamental rules that you're trying to live by. And this is this is compassion, this is listening, this is communication, this is also empowerment from what I'm hearing through this information sharing. So yeah, I think we have a few pillars of how you design your leadership style, which are all very helpful. And then moving forward, looking into the future, how do you see 2021 coming about and how is it that you guys are gearing up for, for this year, given that everyone is still, I imagine, remote uh, yeah. for now? What you guys are known for is being very present at all the events. And even though these are external events, I think a lot of you guys also get that kick of you know being together, being as a team, throwing those amazing parties that are insane right? And always a huge success. And I think that also brings the team internally together because yet again, you did an amazing thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm not worried about, you know, people. I mean, I am worried generally about uh, PTSD from coronavirus, but I just want to understand, you know, how you think about the future yeah. of your team in 2021. What do you think are gonna, going to be the challenges and how are you thinking about obviously managing those? Well, I think it is a big challenge. I don't want to make it smaller than it is. I think it was a challenging year from that aspect, just to come to grips with how to uh, manage remote teams because we didn't have experience as, as a company and me personally also not. There's a few things that we did, which I'm happy about. And I think we're going to continue, which was just being completely flexible with where people are working from. And we've seen colleagues going to Greece and, and renting a house or, or going back home to their parents and working from all over um, the globe. And that, well, it, it, it empowered people to, to make choices that are good for their mental health, for their uh, social well-being um, and, and mental well-being and so on. And I think we're going to 
Well, I know we're going to be open to that throughout 2021. Th that is one uh, very positive move, I find. And I must say, I'm a big believer in working together and being in the same room. And, and I feed off people's energy. And in terms of like removing roadblocks that I mentioned earlier, I think I'm better at my job when I'm in the same room because I can hear or feel certain things that aren't going exactly right. And I can step in. So it's making my job harder or that, that aspect of my job. Mm -hmm. And I need to find other ways of getting to that. And so I will have to just be more attentive, um, seek out more opportunities to, to speak to people. And without meaning spying on people, I need to mm -hmm. ask also one person about the other because maybe they heard something. So I, I need to encourage everyone else to also care about the other people and ask them how they're doing and, and try and put out our feelers so that we are this social group as well. I like that when you mentioned, you know, checking in on other people through other people, it's not putting that in their heads that, you know, make sure to check on that person. Mm. It's a yeah. very important thing that you also instill that in your team to make sure that they all are taking care of each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they do do that naturally as well. And they help me with that. So they also proactively, it's not only that I have to ask that of them. There's some amazingly em empathetic and, and caring people that naturally have that gift of just understanding if something is not 100% with someone and they ask those questions. And so we'll just have to be paying attention more. And, and I think doing that with new people that never met you is face to face is harder, like because they don't know yet exactly how open they can be about what and don't understand how the group dynamics work because we see each other weekly as one group but then there's a limit as to when group conversations on Zoom, for example, stop being effective. Like, yeah. yeah, and, and work. And so we we're looking, we're trying new tools also to figure out what, what could work. Yeah, so I think coming back to experimenting and, and being open, and we will continue to do that and, and try, and it might be tools, it might be whatever it may be, to make sure that, that everyone is able to perform because they're enjoying themselves and uh, have the feeling that they're, they're important to us. Hopefully this podcast also helps and people who are just joining your team can also listen to it and learn about your approach and how well the team is oiled and always trying to deliver, you know, the biggest value, not only for partners, but also internally. Once this is out, it's, it's here forever. So people can always Google your name on Spotify or Apple podcasts and they will find it. But that was one thing. And the other, you know, I was thinking is, I got you on the podcast hoping to really uncover the secret sauce, but I also just think maybe it's that top-down culture and then just this energy that other people feed off. And this is how you attract all of those conscientious and really compassionate and hardworking people. And then it just compounds. What I can only say is if anybody is looking for a new challenge, best thing to do is just apply to AppFlyer and then have the best job ever. I also wanted to ask about onboarding because you said, you know, this is the first time you guys are doing onboarding remotely. And how did you find that experience? We kind of need to proactively schedule many more calls in, in the first week, let's say. We're fortunate that we even 
before COVID, we had a virtual on-demand Apps Fly Academy that where you could basically where we record our own content and trainings and, and this is available for people to consume. So in terms of knowledge sharing and access to knowledge, I think that's less of a challenge. But as the organization grows, understanding where to find information, where to find knowledge, I think there people need help. And so it's not so much as a tool, it's just making sure that you maybe over communicate in the beginning and, and just constantly remind the person that you're there, you do, do check-ins multiple times a day, and then hopefully that can reduce if the person feels comfortable and, and you just need to, every person is probably different. Over-communication, if that's the, the, the tool you're looking for, is probably what you need, what, what I would say is, is what is uh, required initially. My last question about an advice that you would like to give to young managers, or maybe the advice that you give your young managers when they join your team and they manage their own team. Uh, yeah, I think you mentioned unlearning common misperceptions about management. And I think potentially, if somebody still holds some of those beliefs, then I would challenge those. For example, thinking that you need to be better at the job than the person that is reporting to you. I think that's a fallacy. I think you need to, your aim needs to be that your direct reports do their job better than you could. Otherwise, you you should be doing that job. And there's a lot to that. I think that's about information sharing and not holding back and so on. So I, I guess your success will be determined by the success of the people, your people. And I think sometimes you would, as a new manager, you have the feeling that you need to show certain things towards upper management, but actually showing off successes of like, don't be shy with bigging up your people towards management, it will reflect amazingly well on you. So don't try and, and be the best manager, try and make sure that your people are the best at what they do. And I think that if you focus your attention there, you will be the best manager. That, that would be probably um, my, my one advice. Yeah, I always say you shine through your team. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wonderful advice. I think that concludes all my questions. And I'm sure everyone's going to find so much wisdom in um, everything you said. There's there's many things that I've took note of. And this is what I always love um, editing the podcast. Uh, because, you know, in, in the post-production, I get to revisit everything everyone says and reflect on it again. And this is um, also a great lesson for me. So thank you so much. But before I let you thank go, you. we're going to do the VP roulette. Just pick three numbers from one to 10. Uh, three, six, nine. Question three is what's the best thing that came out of this new normal for you? I got to see my kids more. That's Super easy. That's the best thing. Was it challenging though, being, you know, at home with young kids and having to work or are they at the age where I'm very fortunate that I have a superwoman as my partner who is really allowing me to to work as, as I need to so I don't want to say I'm it's challenging at all that's a great that you're so appreciative of of your partner that's great to hear okay question six which of the jobs that you've had or things you've done were the most transformative for your career 
I think coming back to my superwoman wife, getting together with my wife was the most transformative for, for me and for my career in the sense that she allowed me and encouraged me to dream big and go after things that I didn't plan to or didn't really do beforehand. So I think uh, without a doubt, that was the most transformative change in my life. Very much out of the box. I like that answer. And it's always, I mean, it kind of goes back to how important it is to have a partner in crime. All right. Last question is the best book, uh, best book that you've read uh, recently, last year, this year, probably not yet, but anything that you read worth recommending? Last year I read, given that we're on a podcast for like improvement and growth, Atomic Habits. Oh yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> by James was was a very very good book it's it's about small incremental changes that can have big impacts and just sticking at it um I also uh, enjoy uh, reading his newsletter that comes out once a week with some insightful questions that he asks and and quotes and I can recommend that all right well then I think I'm going to let you go finally. Thank you so much, Ben, for being on the podcast. This was wonderful and so insightful. And I'm hoping that not only people who are obviously still working with you on whether it's internally on, on the partner side, but also anyone who thinks of joining AppsFlyer will enjoy this conversation and discover how amazing uh, your team is and yourself and and the whole company so thanks again for your time and that was really helpful maria very very much appreciated thank you so much i'm hoping we're going to meet each other soon in person at an event let's <laughs> see and until then bye <laughs>